Acts 2.42-47 They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions, and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together and with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Good morning, and it is certainly a blessing to be with each and everyone here this morning. We are thankful that you are able to be present, to work God, and to be an encouragement to me, and hopefully to everyone here as well. We have these, those who are visiting with us. We are especially grateful for your presence this morning. You are uh, our honored guests, and we hope that you feel welcome and that you are here to worship God. We appreciate your interest in spiritual things, and we hope that you might stick around for a little bit so that we can visit a little bit after our services are complete. This year we have been engaged in a study of fellowship and what biblical fellowship really is. And that can sometimes be an ambiguous idea and term. And it can sometimes be a loaded term in how it is used and how it is thrown around sometimes. But fellowship is a spiritual idea and it is a biblical idea. It's a very important idea that I think expresses our relationship with God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. As we have been engaged in several studies just since I have been here uh, in the past few months, we will sort of try to tie some of those ideas together this morning as we think about fellowship. But this morning I want us to think about a very particular way in which we have fellowship. And that is how we have had fellowship ever since we have arrived here this morning. In our worship to God and in our period of studying from the Scriptures. Sometimes when we talk about fellowship, as I mentioned, we speak of it in an ambiguous sort of way. We, we speak of fellowship as if it's only theoretical, or that it's only this spiritual idea. And sometimes we don't define it very well. You've probably all heard the uh, definition that it is joint participation, and it absolutely is. But there's a question that we have to answer in connection with that in just a moment. Fellowship is a spiritual relationship that we have with God. And so sometimes it may not be something that we are absolutely able to define by physical uh, measurements. But I want us to go back to that idea of fellowship being joint participation. And I want us to answer this question, what are we participating in? That's really one of the questions that we need to answer if we're going to understand in its biblical sense. Because this is going to be key to helping us see the connection with worship. And so this morning I want 
to not just think about fellowship in a theoretical sense. I want us to think in a very practical way about how fellowship is manifested and how we have fellowship in worship. And as we have been studying the past several months, I have preached lessons just to give you a little bit of review on what we're talking about with fellowship that Fellowship is first based on God's faithfulness in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. That we see that God is faithful and because of that we have fellowship with Jesus Christ, His Son. And so we have fellowship with, with God and with Christ within the body of Christ and the unity that we share with the church. Fellowship also means that we must choose the way of the cross. That might mean suffering. We have studied some of these ideas in our series this year. Also, we have looked at the expressions of fellowship through our support of gospel. In the book of Philippians, Philippians is a book that I think, while we oftentimes describe how we are to live a joyful life, and that certainly is a truth that we learn from the book of Philippians, and is also a book that is very much centered around our fellowship with one another and the gospel, and how we support the gospel, how we support the preaching of the gospel. We have we studied from that a few months ago. And then I believe it was last month we looked at the idea of fellowship and how that demands that we live wholly separate, distinct lives. Appreciate what Mark said about the idea of being sanctified, that we're supposed to be distinguished and set apart. Fellowship demands that we live a holy life. And it also involves that we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit we studied last month as well. But I want us to go back to this idea of how do we have fellowship? What are we participating in? And it is my contention this morning that one of the ways that our fellowship becomes very visible that it's not just theoretical, but it is something that is manifested, that it is seen, and that we can know that we have fellowship with each other and with God, and is through our worship to our Creator that we offer. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, as we heard in our reading, in verse 42 it says, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This little summary statement is full of expressions that I believe help us understand what fellowship is. And what you continue to see through the text to the close of the chapter, you see that the new Christians there in Acts chapter 2, they were involved in studying God's Word. They were devoted to hearing the apostles' teaching and the preaching. That you see that that was an important part of their fellowship that they were establishing. That they wanted to be instructed from the Word of God. And then you see that they were observing the Lord's Supper. That they continued to break bread. That is a, a term that is describing the activity of the Lord's Supper as you can see later on in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. They continued to break bread on the first day of the week. The prayers that they offered, giving of their means, is certainly something that happened there in Acts chapter 2. And then the, the chapter closes. It says in verse 47 that they were praising God. 
And I believe that is a description of their singing, their worship that they offered to God. And so several of these activities are an expression, as he says there in verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Fellowship was being expressed in all of these activities that they were doing together. These saints were continuing to be with each other. They were continuing to encourage one another. They were worshiping with one another. And these become the activities that we see. As we have tried to always, when we are studying about the word fellowship, and how we look at it as this, this partnership, this joint participation that we have with God and with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, and with each other. That these are all suitable terms that would describe the word fellowship because the Greek word koinonia, it means a partnership, a participation, or a communion. That's sometimes how it is translated. And the term is actually used in the book of 1 Corinthians in the 10th chapter. I invite you to be taking out your Bibles and be turning there with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I think this is very helpful for us to demonstrate how when we worship God and when we participate in these activities in our worship, that this is fellowship. And as we have just finished partaking of the Lord's Supper, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and in verse 16, that is exactly what Paul is talking about. Here, we oftentimes refer to chapter 11 to read about the Lord's Supper, and indeed that is where Paul gives a fuller treatment about the Lord's Supper. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and beginning in verse 16, notice with me here, the Apostle Paul says, Is not the cup of blessing which would bless a sharing, that is our Greek word koinonia, or where we get the word fellowship, a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. Look at the nation of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? You see what Paul is doing here? He is trying to get us to see that as we partake this meal, this feast, if you will, the Lord's Supper, as we eat the bread, as we partake of that bread and eat that bread, as we drink of that cup, we are sharing in something, Paul is arguing. And he is contrasting this. He goes on there in verse 19. He contrasts that with sharing and having fellowship with idols. In what do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. He's saying, I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. I don't want you to have fellowship with idolatry. But I think it's very important here to notice what he says in verse 16. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing, a fellowship 
in the blood of Christ, when we partake of the cup, then the Lord's Supper, we have fellowship with the blood of Christ. We are participating in Christ's blood and the sacrifice that He made. He says the same thing about the bread. Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ. That as we partake of that, as we consume that, we are sharing in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We are benefiting from what Jesus did. And so we have spiritual communion. That's oftentimes what we would call the Lord's Supper. It's a period of communion. It's a period of fellowship. When we partake of that, when we drink of the the cup, when we eat of the bread, it is a fellowship that we also have with the body of Christ. He goes on to argue in verse 17, since there is one bread, that one bread that we partake, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So as we are all partaking of the Lord's Supper, we are all being reminded of the body of Christ, the spiritual body of Christ, that is the church, that we have unity together, that we are bound with each other. I'm glad that Dennis led, blessed be the time. Because that reminds us of our spiritual bond and fellowship that we have as we partake of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a communion with Christ and with each other. I think that's so important for us to just stop and appreciate why we are to partake of the Lord's Supper together. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks a great deal about the the Lord's Supper. And he says in verse 19 of chapter 11, and talking about how there are factions and divisions in the church there at Corinth, and he says that's not a good thing. Because whenever there are factions and there are divisions, he says in verse 21, and they were apparently, some of them were coming and partaking of the Lord's Supper, making it a... Uh, just a social meal, a social event, and they were some would eat and they would leave others out. He says in verse 21, For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. And that's why he says, Do you not have houses to eat or drink in? He says, I don't say this to your praise. I say this to shame you. And so as he goes on to talk about the significance of the Lord's Supper, that Christ gave His life, and that we are to remember and to reflect on that sacrifice. At the end of that chapter, in verse 33, what does he say? So then, my brother, when you come together to eat, wait for one another, because this is an activity that's supposed to be done together as the body of Christ. It is something that we are reminded that we have fellowship with each other and with our Lord who purchased church with His own blood. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread. When the church assembled together, they partook of the Lord's Supper to remember Jesus and His great sacrifice. As one commentator put it, I really appreciated how he said this. He says, in taking the bread and the wine, Therefore, Christians proclaim Christ's death. That is, they proclaim the event that established the new covenant 
and demonstrate that they are participating in this new covenant. That as we partake, we are proclaiming Christ's death and the blood which established the new covenant, that we are part of that. That we have been saved by the blood of Christ. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is an important moment and that it establishes and shows that we have fellowship with God in a very visible and demonstrable way. He goes on to say, they take part in it in such a way that they establish their covenant relationship with the Lord, the vertical aspect, and they establish their membership of the church, which is the covenant community, the horizontal aspect, and so share in its blessings. Now, whenever we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is a communion with God and with Christ and with each other. That we have fellowship in a very visible way. It is manifested as we partake of the Lord's Supper. I believe that would be enough to prove that we have fellowship when we worship God. But it's interesting to go beyond just thinking about the Lord's Supper. Let's think about our singing together. Another important aspect of our worship assemblies is that we sing praises to God. We are very familiar with Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19 and Colossians chapter 3 and in verse 16. I'm going to read from Colossians 3 verse 16 here in just a moment. But I want you to just think and bear in mind in Colossians chapter 3 that Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. He's been telling them that they are to be unified, that they are to be remembering each other, bearing with each other, forgiving each other, and that they are to be unified with the perfect bond of unity. And then he talks about having the peace of Christ ruling among them. And he then says in verse 16, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And what is interesting that as you might read in the English, there in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. We might read that in a very individualistic sense, right? In your hearts. Well, Paul's talking to me. Well, yes, he's talking to you. But that is a plural you. And throughout this text, in verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell in that's not just you individually, that's you in a collective sense. Paul is writing to the church, to the congregation, that when we come together to worship, we are to allow the peace of Christ to rule within us. We are to allow the Word of Christ to dwell within us. And when we sing, he says, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, that is another interesting phrase that we see here. This idea of being singing to one another, that involves a plurality, doesn't it? It necessitates a plurality. Where I am singing to you and you are singing to me. And it 
about how we sound. It's about our expression to God and the words that we are saying to each other. The Word of Christ. Teaching and admonishing one another. And as we sing, we are teaching each other. The song, God is love. Opening phrase, come let us all unite to sing. That singing is a collective activity that is an expression of our fellowship together. In the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 2, in Hebrews chapter 2 and in verse 12, this is a quotation from Psalm 22, and what the Hebrew writer often will do is he will take Old Testament quotations and he will use them as if they were being spoken by Jesus. And that is what he's doing here in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 12. He is taking this Old Testament quotation and saying, this is what Jesus has said. Saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. That is, Jesus is talking to the Father. I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. You see what this is trying to convey to us? That Jesus is with us when we sing. When we are singing praises to God. When we are worshiping. That we are worshiping together. We're singing and encouraging one another. We're teaching each other. But also, we are singing with Jesus our brother. We have fellowship with Christ when we sing. And so this is another activity that is directed toward God with our brethren and our Lord Jesus Christ just as is involved with the Lord's Supper. Even in our giving, we have very particular expressions that use the word koinonia or fellowship. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, in 2 Corinthians the 8th chapter, Paul talks a great deal about our fellowship and giving, the generosity that needs to be motivating our giving. He talks about the contribution in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, two whole chapters devoted to this subject. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and in verse 3, it is for I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. He's talking about the churches of Macedonia and how they were so generous and in their liberality that they gave beyond what even they you would think they were able to do. And then he says in verse 4, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation as the New American Standard Bible says, in the support of the saints. The word participation, it's the word koinonia, it's the word fellowship. That as they gave of their things, that giving is a fellowship that you have together. In... Book of Philippians, as we reference already, Paul he talks about the financial compensation he was given from the church 
at Philippi. And in chapter 4, in verse 15 of the book of Philippians, in Philippians chapter 4, and in verse 15, Paul says, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. That no church shared, koinonia, no church fellowshiped him, except the Philippians. That when we place a contribution into that plate, that we are having fellowship with each other. That individuals get into a common treasury that is then given to the elders for their oversight is the example that we have in the book of Acts in chapter 11. And what we see in the book of Romans as Paul is writing about the collection once again, he's writing to the church at Rome this time about the collection. He says very pointedly in Romans chapter 15 and in verse 27, he says, yes, they were pleased to do so and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared, guess what that word is, koinonia, fellowship, they have shared in their spiritual things. They are indebted to minister to them also in, in material things. That because we have fellowship with one another in our giving, that if we see a Christian in need, that we are under obligation because of our fellowship with each other to help them. And so in our giving, in our benevolence, this becomes a physical reminder that we are in fellowship with one another. Even in our teaching and in our preaching, when we have someone who stands before us, who teaches us from God's Word, and when we are taught God's Word, that is spiritual fellowship. I think sometimes we think of preaching or in our, our time together when we are being taught, whether it be a Bible class setting or whenever we are listening to a sermon, that we think of this as just an activity where we've got to listen to that long-winded, boring preacher. And that may be true, sorry. But there's some something spiritual about what we are doing together. And it's not a one-sided event. Sometimes we think of, uh, we go to hear the preacher. Yes, we go to hear the preacher, but we, are need, we need to be sure that we are engaged with the preacher. And we are actively hearing and listening with what is being said. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 6, the one who is taught the Word is to share, what that word is, <laughs> koinonia, fellowship. The one who is taught the Word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. And so whenever we are engaged in Bible study in a class setting or whenever we are here in the assembly 
and we are listening to someone speak for 30 or 45 minutes, how long I just want to go, or Paul might go to midnight. That is an active time for us to have fellowship. So whenever I ask you to maybe turn to a passage or whenever a passage is put on the screen and we read it and we think about it, that is a time when we are having fellowship together. When we are thinking about God's Word, when we are studying it. The teacher and the student may have different roles, but we each have a participatory role. We each come to the Word of God. One teaches and one examines what is taught. And both the teacher and the student must apply the truths to their life. And so whenever we are here studying together, we are engaged in fellowship. It's another very visible reminder of our fellowship together. Our prayers as well are a visible reminder, a very manifest way in which we see fellowship together. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul is writing really about the topic of spiritual gifts within the church and the use of these miraculous gifts and talking about speaking in tongues and all those kinds of things. And in chapter 14 and verses 1 and 2, he says, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. That is, the person who is speaking in tongues, and when there's no interpreter there, he's saying he's only speaking to himself. He's, it's between him and God. No one else is involved. And Paul is trying to help shape the Corinthians' understanding that just because you speak in tongues, that doesn't mean you're any better than anyone else. So don't be using these gifts to, to stab each other in the back or become divisive. He says later on in the chapter, in verse 26, what is the outcome then, brethren? And I think he describes their chaotic assemblies. When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Like, you're just, a, it's all chaos here. Everyone has their own thing and they're all doing their own thing. But then he has a corrective statement there at the very end of verse 26. Let all things be done for edification. And that's why at the very end of the chapter, in verse 40, he says that we are to do things decently and in order. Because it is... To, to be done for the purpose of edifying. When we assemble, we are to be edifying each other. It's not about me. It's not about anyone else. It's about worshiping God and building each other up. And he uses some illustrations in the middle of this chapter. 
in verse 15. He says, what is the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit, I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. That our prayers need to be stated in an understandable way without any confusion. That we are to pray with the Spirit and with the mind. Pray with the Spirit and the understanding. And then what does he go on in verse 16 to say? Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the Amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? You see what Paul is trying to get across here? That whenever we have one person, yes, it might just be one person who is leading us, but He is leading the congregation in prayer. He is speaking words to God on our behalf. And whenever we hear those words at the end of that prayer, we ought to be able to have understood that prayer and be in agreement with that prayer so that we can say, Amen. That we hear it, we agree with it, and we want the prayer to come to pass. And whenever we say the Amen, it becomes not just a, a visible manifestation of fellowship, it becomes an audible manifestation of fellowship as well. That we hear that we have fellowship and that we agree with that prayer. And so while fellowship is visibly manifest in our worship, our worship activities are fellowship. Worship is fellowship because we are all joining together arm in arm with one mind and one spirit to worship our God and our Savior. And so when we sing, when we pray, when we teach and give or partake of the Lord's Supper, our fellowship is no longer just theoretical. It is a physical manifestation that we live out. It becomes very substantive. It's an actualized activity. There's no longer lacking this practical component. Our worship is the actual expression of fellowship. And I believe that is one reason why our presence at the worship assembly is so important. Because this is our fellowship. And we've had sermons, we've talked about the errors of thinking of fellowship in just a, uh, a social activity or social meal. A lot of churches, they build a whole, whole recreation wing to have fellowship, right? What they call fellowship. But what we need to understand, the Bible presents 
What we're doing here, right now, in this very room, is fellowship. This is a fellowship room, if you will. And so when do we have Bible studies? And when we have regular Sunday services or gospel meetings or monthly singings, those are all times that we join in fellowship with God, with Christ, and with our brothers and sisters. Why would we want to miss out on that fellowship? How sweet our fellowship is. And so what we have to think about as we close this morning is will you make our fellowship with God and with each other a priority in your life? Are you going to examine your commitment to worshiping God with your brothers and sisters? Because when we worship, this is fellowship. And why would you want to miss out on it? Why would you not want to be here? And if your commitment to worship and to fellowship is not what it ought to be, we want you to renew your zeal and your commitment to the Lord. We want you to be an active part of the fellowship here. Maybe it is that you have never put Christ on in baptism. Though, and that you've never made that initial step to become a Christian and to join the Lord's church. And that Christ died for you. He wants you to come to Him and be a part of His body so that you can have fellowship with Him and with God who sent Him to die for you. And if we can help you this morning to make that step, we want to encourage you to become a child of God, to make your heart right with the Lord. If we can help you in some way this morning, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?